for you? I, I don't know, but I'm guessing because you were curious while, while it felt, you felt the pain, that kind of, I'm embarrassed. I hate this. This is horrible. But you were curious, curiousness enough to say, what can I do to be better? And, you know, Andy, you started about how do we change the perception in the field? We change the perception by being continuously curious, not only about our clients and how do we exactly get a solution that meets their needs that's relevant, distinct, and memorable, but curious about our own skill set and not I think the ones that um, have a hard time is if they think pure relationship selling will work anymore. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jennifer Colosimo. Jennifer is president of the Enterprise Division at Franklin Covey and the co-author of a new book titled Strikingly Different Selling, Six Vital Skills to Stand Out and Sell More. And in our conversation today, Jennifer and I are joined by Howard Brown, CEO of Revenue.io, as we talk about what sellers need to do to stand out in today's competitive markets. We dive into some really interesting research data from Jennifer's book that talked about the consequences of sellers not being to stand out, not being able to stand out, which included data that found that across a variety of industries, B2B industries, that the average win rates were a dismal 17% for deals above 100K, which is really low. We explore why buyers have such low expectations for sellers. In our book, Jennifer cites the results of surveys with more than 14,000 B2B decision makers which buyers saw virtually no difference between vendors and sellers 42% of the time, so nearly half the time. We also dig into the number one sales issue as expressed by buyers that is problematic for sellers, which was that they don't buyers don't feel that sellers understand their needs. In fact, the need to understand the buyer was the single most important buying criteria to buyers by a factor of three. Then we also dig into Jennifer's formula for being strikingly different. It's a three-part formula to be relevant, distinct, and memorable, and we're going to get into the details of that. So we get into all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Jennifer, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it, and I want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out, a guide to success on your own terms. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without resorting to the salesy behaviors that buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, friends, let's jump into it with Jennifer and Howard. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andy. And Howard, you too. It's fabulous <laughs> to be here with both of you. Any, any chance? Uh, you know, you're always welcome to the show, Howard. So, um, yeah, yeah, here we are. At last, we had sort of a little hiccup last time we tried to do this, but I think we're all set. So, Jennifer... Tell us a bit about you and, and what you do. So I am the president of the enterprise division at Franklin Covey, and we help clients uh, achieve behavior change in four key areas, leadership, individuals, building inclusive high trust cultures, and executing a strategy, uh, how to execute on strategy, including sales strategy, which I think we're here to talk about today. And I'm well, one of the co-authors of a book called Strikingly Different, Six Vital Skills um, for Selling. Yeah, strikingly different selling, six vital skills to stand out and sell more. So um, what was the impetus to write the book? 
Well, um, and I'm talking to some sales professionals here amongst me, you know, amongst us. We've been in sales for many, many years. And uh, we actually have an offering that we use with clients on improving their sales capability. Mm-hmm. What really drove the book is some live sales simulations we did over a period of six years with over 2,800 sales professionals. And they were live. You'd have a client executive, you'd have a sales professional, and 135 countries. This was global B2B sales. The sales professionals would always come out and say, I think it went well. They were paying attention. It looks like this would be a close. And the client executives would say, I can barely tell the difference. There's, I can barely tell the difference. In fact, we heard a lot. That, was, that would have been a waste of time. And so as we did that and did some additional research with a sales research firm, we decided, hey, we know what would help people be more strikingly different and not so surprisingly average. And that's what drove the book. Okay. Well, tell us about these simulations because I'm, I'm fascinated. So how'd you set it up and what was sort of the scenario? Well, as I mentioned, we offer as part of our executing on your strategy, sales capability um, content. Mm -hmm. And so as part of that sales capability content at the end of it, things about how to position yourself and how to listen more effectively and how to resolve what we call traffic lights, Mm -hmm. red, yellow, green lights, we would, at the end of the training component, have a sales simulation and previous client executives come in the room. And as we had those experiences over time, we kept thinking, okay, still people aren't getting what you need to do to stand out and sell more. So they were with clients and they would help us set up those sales simulations, often, frankly, in hotel ballrooms. Hmm. Well, right, the- what was striking for me was, and I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was 70% or more of those executives felt like the time was completely wasted. I think that was, I'm paraphrasing, yes. but that's that's amazing, right? So you get the reps who think they're doing a phenomenal job. They're like creating opportunities. They're feeling great about it. They're putting it in their pipeline. The managers are excited. Things are going. 70% waste of time. Can you tell me more about that? And do you know what that stat was exactly, by the way? Because I'd love to continue using it. Well, so of the, the detail that we did with primary intelligence, that was the differentiation analysis. And it analyzed 14,000, it was 14,500, but surveys and um, interviews with client executives. And the stat that you're referring to is that differentiation analysis, 70% came out and said, I can't tell the difference. In fact, what it really was 42% of the time they could. So it's a little less than 70. But we've all been sold to. I have been looking at tools recently. And you know the difference between those who have looked at your website, read your press releases. If it's possible, there's earnings calls. They've looked up you. They're making a guess Mm -hmm. about this will be compelling to her. And so I'll put something out there. And, of course, I'll stop and let her respond. And those that come on and say, we're in a lot of countries, we work with a lot of people, we have these features and benefits, and I've been on the end of that recently, both, in fact, I had a really good one, and one that I'm thinking, seriously, you can look us up. Well, what did the good one do? 
Well, the good one to the point that that we're making here had really researched Franklin Covey. In fact, we're public, so he'd mm-hmm. read an earnings transcript. Right. And he could say, I can tell based on how you sell, we sell our content through a yearly subscription. You're looking at these kinds of revenue renewals, these kinds of new logos. It's clear you're emphasizing multi-years. And he did what we talk about in the book, a from to. So basically, it sounds like your revenue renewal is X. Mm -hmm. Using this tool set, you could get two, and here's how. And I was impressed with just the starting spot. He spent time. Well, in fact, that's how he got the call, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have met with him at all, but he got the call. And I know you're guessing at the beginning as you're trying to connect and engage, but his guess was much more informed than the, I'd really like to talk to you about, we're very good at, will you meet with me? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we have this this issue, though, that that's pervasive, and it speaks at 70% number, and I quote in my book, my new book, uh, 80% that Gardner had in one of their studies about yes. CEOs having no value in the, uh, in the calls with sellers, but you talk about in the book, it really starts from a position of low expectations to begin with, which I think colors the, the reception of the seller. So how do sellers begin to change that? And, and not individual, but even as a profession, right? We're all uh, in the job of trying to make change in this profession. How do we, how do we affect that change so that, um, yeah, the expectations aren't quite as dreary as they are right now? Oh, you're talking about, Andy, the change of us as selling professionals. Yeah. How do we, the industry, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I think our industry has evolved significantly in the years I've been here, Howard. I'm sure you've seen the same. I mean, when we meet with clients, people are seeing more and more sales professionals that this is a honorable, this is, we're truly trying with whatever we're bringing to the world to help people. That's right. Whether it's a tool set that you're bringing, whether it's a process, whether it's a capability, whether it's a solution, whether it's a product, we're out there trying to ensure that the people who should know about us know about us and that if they have a challenge we can solve, we solve it. And I think that happens one selling professional at a time, Mm -hmm. but at least in my experience, um, starting in sales positions in the 90s, we've evolved We've evolved, and I don't think everyone views us like, you know, oh, they're all shilling. Uh, you know, I recently saw, you You might laugh at this, an old Love Boat episode. Oh. <laughs> yes. I know you've seen Captain Steubing, yeah. and there was a salesperson on there who mm. was just shell, shilling things out of his room, right? And I don't think we're seen that way anymore, but it, it – it, It falls on us to develop, really, when you think about this book, the storytelling skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, we use storytelling metaphors when you're trying to capture attention. A billboard. If you drive by a billboard, whether it's in Times Square or on your local street, and it captures your attention, Mm -hmm. you're thinking, oh, I wonder what they do. I think I'll contact them. But that requires some storytelling to be that concise. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Movie trailers. We talk about having a billboard sentence and a movie trailer, right? Well, movie trailers, people love them. 
Of the billions watched on YouTube, they're the third most watched movie. They're channels. better than the movie most of the time, they're right? They're often better of the movie. Well, they're directed by a whole other whole crew that's just for that purpose. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just for that purpose because it gets your attention. Yeah. It creates your interest, and then you want to go see the movie. And I think it falls on us as professionals to invest the time that we are being relevant to those that we're selling to, that we've thought about being distinct and memorable, and we don't memorize just our company PowerPoint deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, though, we're seeing this research from Gartner that came out in the summer of 2020 saying, well, Buyers don't want to talk with sellers anymore. And I mean, A, I thought that was sort of nonsensical, yeah. but because, uh, yeah, buyers never want to talk to sellers. I well, mean, no one wants to be sold. That's no right. one wants to be sold. I want to be advised of my buying decision. Right. I, I, I want somebody yes. to help me when I, once I have enough information. To, and I've reached that point. Now I need an expert to help me make that purchase decision, to help me differentiate them from somebody else. I need them to understand my use case and help me decide whether or not what we're looking at here can reasonably help me. And that, that, is, right. that is what I'm looking for as a buyer. And a seller needs to understand that, right? Their job, to your point, Jennifer, is to help. And if they're not, if they're not a helper, if they don't come into the profession wanting to help people navigate this incredibly difficult process, which is buying, we all know sellers sell. They do it all day long. Yeah, how yes. many how many things do you buy unless you're a you know shopaholic like some of my family members? How many things are you actually buying in any given day? And if you're buying high tech uh, tools, you're buying software, whatever there's not that many decisions. So we need help. And that's what a seller's job is, is to help us navigate that. Yeah, I think buyers need to talk to sellers, right? They understand they have a need. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the interesting study I'd read not that long ago about uh, this whole idea of concept of strong ties versus weak ties, mm -hmm. where, you know, in organizations, everybody that works together, they form these strong ties. And then the author's paper wrote is that what they know is they all know redundant information. And so they need people with weak ties that have a new perspective who ask mm -hmm. questions they're not asking themselves to come in and ask those questions, which are salespeople. So self-aware organizations know that they need salespeople to come in and help them do the things you talk about, Howard. Just give us a different perspective on you know, the challenges we're facing and have us think differently about our problem and the potential outcomes we can achieve. Diversity of thought and ideas. Shocking. Who Amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, if you think about it, um, nobody wants, and I've experienced salespeople like this, where I'm thinking as I'm looking, just as I'm looking at the two of you, they uh -oh. clearly uh -oh. need to close, they clearly need to close the quarter. Yeah. Right. Or the year, because you can feel it just like if I've been out of the dating cycle for a long time, but when you could feel desperation, right. Mm -hmm. And you're, th and nobody is attracted to desperation, People are attracted to, and, and, and I don't mean it in the romantic way, you're attracted to someone who can give you great ideas and that will say, we could go that way and that won't get you what you're wanting, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, when when I'm as, when I'm working with clients and we're we're working on how do you build a high trust inclusive culture, and they come back with, could we just have you keynote for sixty, yeah. you know, for sixty minutes, yeah. and I'm saying, well. That will be great, and maybe we will change someone's mindset. You sometimes just occasionally, but if you're really trying to build a culture and you've got 28,000 people, that is not going to do it. And so I don't want a keynote if that's what you expect. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about what might drive that. You know, you want somebody who isn't just desperately trying to close something. Yeah, well, that's... That's someone putting their own interest ahead of theirs of the buyers, right? And you mm-hmm. sense it. That's that, that desperation you talked about. It's all what they need at that point in time. You sense it, you smell it, and you, you run it. from it. And so that is some of that, that, that feeling that we have when we think about the traditional sales guy selling something out of the love boat room, right? Like that horrible yes. feeling that we're not going <laughs> to get anything of value. They used to be snake oil salesmen or whatever it is. I think that what's so important today, and maybe I'm you know, showing my age here, but I realize that time is my most valuable commodity. I think it's all of our most valuable. We, we have limited amount of time. And I try and structure my day around the concept that I want to be spending my time doing the most valuable thing in each block of time. And if as salespeople or business people, we go into every meeting with the idea that we should be that person's most valuable thing that they could be doing with that block of time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't be there, right? So it, the idea is how do I come into this situation where I'm going, that person's going to walk away, whether they buy my product or service and say, that was a great use of my time. It was diversity of thought. I have a different perspective. I learned something I grew from. If not, then do something else because you probably have value. It's just not in what you're doing or selling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it comes from a lack of intention, right? As, as sellers, you know, operate by a script and they're not acting intentionally in terms of, hey, I'm going to consume some of this person's time and attention. What do they need from me to make that outcome a valuable outcome for them? Oh, I'm sorry, Andy, please. Well, as I like to call it, is, is value in the eyes of the buyer is really progress, right? As a result oh, of yes. interacting with you, am I closer to making a decision than I was beforehand? That's the very definition of value in a sales call. Oh, completely agree. I mean, if you think about what we talk about in the book, what you're both mentioning is relevant, mm-hmm. right? Because we have a formula that goes throughout the whole connecting, engaging, and then how you validate and co-create. Are you relevant to what they need? And then does it have some distinction to where we started the conversation? It might be relevant, but can I see the differentiator between you? And is it memorable, which requires work on your end to be that clear, concise storyteller? And Mm -hmm. and I think we've we've talked a lot about that relevance. Um, It's not just knowing your solution, but do I, can I make that leap and convey it mm-hmm. verbally or written very well as to how this solves that for you or not? Yeah. But at least yeah. I, I asked some interesting questions. It took you farther along your path. You'll remember it later. Yeah. And yeah, you talk about relevant, distinct, and memorable. I mean, I think the memorable is key. I just, I actually, I posted about that on LinkedIn 
today about um, peak experiences is, you know, Daniel Kahneman had this whole theory about peak end, his peak end rule is when people go through an experience and they factor, they consider uh, the experience afterwards, they basically take into account two factors uh, in making the decision about it. And one is what was the peak event during that, mm. that experience? As a seller, you can't predict in advance which of your experience with the buyer can be the peak event. So they all have to be mm-hmm. your A game. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that, look, I, and I love the book, by the way, I'm, I'm now a fanboy of strikingly different selling, but strikingly different everything. And I think the idea is how do we string together all of those critical moments, whether Mm -hmm. they're in our conversations, our emails, in our process of engagement, how do we first assess what is the critical moment? And then how do we arm and train and educate our sales teams, our CS teams to meet that moment? And so you talk about the being strikingly different. You have the, the billboard and then the movie trailer. Let's get down to now. Now we're into sort of finding the gap, the, the problem, and why we're that right fit. How do we train salespeople to do that? Well, I think, I mean, as, as you mentioned, the first four skills are really around connecting and engaging. And then you have to pull way back and look at how to validate and co-create. And I think you said it, Andy, a lot of it starts with mindset and intent. Are you curious? Because I, I don't personally, you may, I don't like to be asked the questions up front. And the one I hate, you know, what keeps you up at night? Worst I'm question like, ever. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> my kids, I mean, honestly, my kids. My kids. My kids. My, <laughs> my kids keep me up at night, not my work. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. So it, you know, but then when you get to validate and co-create, I think you really, and this is when you get to skills, what we're talking about in five and six, you have to completely move off that solution. Move off the solution and look for where there are gaps. You know, and we talk about several skills to do that, several skills to do that, you know. So we've been talking about, like I'm selling to Howard, we've been talking about X, Y, and Z. So my understanding is for you, you're looking to address these issues. Am Mm -hmm. I on target? You are spot on. Spot on. And so then, you know, what else? And we actually have a very, very detailed process. Did I get a list of issues? Did I get it all? Did I rank them? And then when I get to the number one or really two, what, what's happening in your organization that, that tells you that's an issue, evidence? And then what's the impact of that because that happens, mm-hmm. right? And really getting to, okay, here's the business case for this. I may have made some great guesses and been able to storytell, but now I've got to go into depth on what am I really solving here? And really moving off the solution is a key skill that I think requires, I mean, to your question, listening skills and not listening to respond, but listening to, am I truly understanding what this person says? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you in my career, I'm not embarrassed to say, okay, you mentioned the acronym, throw out an acronym, everybody has a million. Explain to me what that means. And I don't sit ever and think, I should know that. 
even with all the industries that I know, if I don't know that, what is that acronym and -hmm. how does that impact this? Really being curious to say, okay, so I see a link between what we're doing and what we outlined here, right? Mm -hmm. It's those skill set. And then I also think the skill set, I mentioned this, traffic lights. Right. Salespeople want to blow through that red light. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, so explain the traffic light concept just so people understand it. So... We, well, we're all familiar with traffic lights. And yeah, I blow we're all through f- them every day, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, you just are like, okay, do I hit the gas? Do I slow down? Um, you may have your own individual driving style. I was on a call recently, recently, where I was thinking, that is the biggest red light I've ever seen. And you're just trying to say, well, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. I mean, most people aren't rude enough to say you're completely off target. I'd never do that. You know, they'll they'll hint you yellow. Right. Mm-hmm. So being able to slow down, especially at yellow, and never blowing through red and saying, I'm glad you brought that up. That mm-hmm. sounds important. Mm-hmm. Let's talk through that issue. Mm-hmm. versus that feeling, and of course, I've also, I'm sure you have as well, seen salespeople get really psychologically hijacked. The oh. client's coming, the client is coming at them, and you can see them just getting defensive and defending every point, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's not going to work, number one. <laughs> and number yeah. two, it's, you're, just, you're getting actually into an argument Yep. With a prospect. So, so being able to slow down and saying, oh, tell me more about that. That sounds like something we should explore before we go any further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really just not blowing through the red lights or yellow. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, <clears throat> my experience is when you have an opportunity to have a coach or a manager that takes you through a recording or a video of you doing that, it becomes so crystal clear. It's like the traffic camera. It's you, you thought that you made it through that intersection, but wow, you weren't even close. And it's one of those things that we have at our disposal. We have the ability to listen and watch the game take. Use it. It's a tool. Use it every day because... It's amazing how eye-opening it is to hear you blast through that stuff and how, I don't want to say insensitive, but situationally unaware. And look, best salesmen, poor salesmen, we... We all do it. Okay, we all do it. We all have... I'm not beyond that in any sort of situation of blowing through and being insensitive or being in a hurry. We all can do it. And the more aware we are at what triggers us to blow through, to get to that next step as quickly as we can, the better we're able to identify it and not behave in that way. I love that. And I agree. I mean, in terms of the tools that your organization offers, right? That the ability to see it yourself. Um, we, we have a, a tool that we use with internal. It's not the client one, the, the client facing recordings. And they record a conversation that's simulated, much like the simulations we did to prepare mm-hmm. for this book. People hate it. Because yes. they see themselves doing exactly what they insisted in the previous coaching conversation they didn't do. Yes, 
and and it's hard to break a habit. I, I remember that one of my most valuable lessons as a clinician when I was a therapist was I worked at a nonprofit um, counseling center, so they it was training. And this was going to show my age. They used to record the sessions with a VHS and then play it back to you. And I watched myself. You could have said Betamax, but yeah. Yeah, I know Betamax. Well, I didn't want to embarrass myself. And punch cards, punch cards. Yeah, exactly. I watched myself with clients, patients, and I would when the material got like anxiety ridden, I would swing my leg or I would tap my knee with my finger. My body language and how I would address them, it was changing. And I was actually creating more anxiety for the client by my own body language and inexperience. And it was painful to watch. But I'll tell you, it was one of the most powerful experiences. And it's part of the genesis of my company today was the ability to actually observe ourselves and provide that coaching so that we can improve. So that reflection is critical. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, and and it worked for you. I, I don't know, but I'm guessing. Because you were curious while while it felt you felt the pain that kind of I'm embarrassed I hate this this is horrible, but you were curious curiousness enough to say what can I do to be better? That's right. And you know, Andy, you started about how do we change the perception in the field? We mm. change the perception by being continuously curious, not only about our clients. And how do we exactly get a solution that meets their needs that's relevant, distinct, and memorable, but right. curious about our own skill set and mm-hmm. not resi- – I, I think the ones that um, have a hard time is if they think pure relationship selling will work anymore. Yeah, well, that's an, that's an avoidance strategy. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I've, I'm a, a skeptic about a lot of this stuff because I never think People think that that happened more than it actually did. Oh, um, that makes sense. Right. So, but yeah, it's an avoidance strategy, right? As you're trying to avoid being exposed. So you think mm-hmm. you can overcompensate with the, the relationship. Um, yeah, I agree. It's relying on that is, is not going to get you anywhere. No. And it requires a skill set. I mean, the curiousness, but empathy and actually feeling empathy can be a learned skill 100%. of simply learning how to stop the part in your brain that's going, as soon as her mouth starts moving, I will I jump up talking. and tell her how she's wrong, yeah. right? Or how I can solve that objection instead of saying, am I sure I get what the objection was? You know, mm-hmm. um, that's that's very important. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, right. you know, that the true, let me make sure I hear the right problem before I solve a problem that isn't even the problem. Yeah. Well, I think, and Howard, I'm interested in your take on this because yeah, you're, yeah, I, background is, is, yeah. but let me just finish the question was, it seems like a lot of the behaviors, you know, we discussed about the bad behaviors in sales, uh, you know, talking all the time, you know, listening to respond rather than listening to understand and so on has its roots in insecurity. As I talked about before, is people just not wanting to be exposed for being less than. 
Well, I think I think yes. Uh, certainly, yeah. I I think a lot of what we do has its roots in fear and insecurity, or it has its roots in wanting to be helpful and wanting to wanting to grow and learn and be a continuous learner and and being thirsty and hungry to expand our knowledge and and our value. So, you know, Jennifer, when you talk about empathy, there's so much conversation you hear people talk about empathic selling and emotional IQ and as a clinician, it's really important to understand the difference between sympathy and empathy and as sellers it's critical to understand the difference i can project on you i think that you're struggling as a sales leader because the economy is bad and you have a lot of pressure and you have reps that aren't hitting quota and whatever it may be and i can project that over to you and that might be interesting but that is not empathy empathy is asking you a set of open-ended questions, getting you talking, understanding a little bit more about you, getting you to clarify so you understand even more about the situation and how you got, then I can be empathic. But without the understanding and the open-ended questions and the ability to really reflect, all you're doing is providing sympathy. And anybody can provide sympathy. It's called projection understanding is the difference. And that is the empathy that you're talking about. It is. It is. And I think that is, and we've been talking about selling and buying. And in addition, I think that is the, the, the thing that most human beings want. Most human beings want to feel understood. Yes. And I know as a buyer, I, when I think, and there's a recent engagement that I had with uh, a seller and I thought, oh my gosh, Jacob actually gets me mm-hmm. and my problem and what I'm trying to do. We may or may not have the exact solution here, but he has invested the time and you honestly feel a lightness come mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, he understands me. Right. Yeah. Um, which is, and which may or may not mean that we're, we're closing. Right. It may not be a closing signal, but you're a lot closer when you feel, OK, they understand. And so yeah. this next piece be, is relevant to me and I, t- I can tell the difference. That's part of being distinct. Mm-hmm. It's part of being human, right? The ability to feel heard, seen, understood and appreciated. Right. Oh, like, let's just oh, boil it down to the simple things. We all have those human needs and if we as human beings want to connect with one another, selling, relationship, parenting, we need to bring that to the table. Yeah, yeah I agree. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. I think I got, got it somewhere back there. Yeah, yeah. There I'm sure I have that one too. <laughs> um, well, the other one I talked about was, was we had talked about uh, movie trailers and so on, but you talk about talking and headlines. So take us through that a little bit. Well, again, this comes back to a storytelling skill set. And I think we've seen in this conversation as we've talked that there's one skill set that's how do you create excitement? How do you connect? How do you engage? And then there's this other skill set that you validate and co-create. 
So I think you have to be able to flow back and forth between those mm -hmm. and not think, and now is the time I will tell you something interesting. Okay, now you talk. It's mm -hmm. a flow, but talking in headlines, in fact, in the book, we talk about a message house, right? That has a billboard, that has movie trailers, that gets down into the real issues where you co-create. Headlines is you're moving from X to Y. Mm. So you could say to a client, um, we can help you reduce the tickets in queue. Okay. Or we could move from this level of backlog of tickets to not even getting tickets in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> like we'll help you solve the root in that headline but hopefully in a concise way that doesn't take me 20 minutes to sell you how I'm going to help you reduce tickets, you right. know, mm -hmm. for your help desk. And so it's really working on based on what this client needs so that it's relevant to them. Am I talking in from two headlines that they can see? Oh, and we, our brains work like this. I see that story. Mm -hmm. I would love that to not have not only a backlog of tickets, but not get this many tickets in the first place, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it, it's working on yourself. And I would suggest some of the same things Howard said, you should be recording yourself. Yeah. Have, a have a practice, look back, say, how concise was I? Did I wander? Did it take me five minutes to explain what should have been as simple as from this number of tickets that you have today to not having tickets in the first place. Really working on, like you're a book writer or an mm -hmm. article writer, you know, am I getting to the point or am I one of those people, and I'm sure you've had them, and I bet I've been that, this person myself, that people think, okay, they just talked at me the whole time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think with They the, talked at me the whole time. With the from the two is, is what you're doing is you're, putting the listener into the picture frame, right? As opposed to just stating, right. here's a fact of what we can do for you. When we describe it as sort of this implicit story arc, even though it's very concise, you can envision yourself doing that. And that becomes can, this very yeah. important part of a mental test drive you're taking of the product as you go through the conversation with the buyer. And I think all of your move, I mean, everything that we've talked about, the billboard has to have from two statements. Mm -hmm. They have to get built out for someone to want to act when you get to right. the movie trailer. And then they really have to start to say, here's my differentiators. So yep. you may come back and say, well, we have a lot of people that can reduce those tickets at that way. And we've even seen some prevention things. What's different about you? Well, I've heard that you need Y, Z, A, B. So one of the things, and sometimes it's flashbacks, one of the things that we did with a client in your similar industry is X, Y, and Z that's different than I think you could get here, right? Mm -hmm. Having flashbacks or the flash forwards, just really thinking in, I'm trying to get them engaged with me in this story. So Jennifer, I want to ask you about this because the two from is so critical and it's the, the story arc. What I find challenging today is that people are they're doing a better job of telling me my to and from but again they're telling me my company's to or from to and and then from from <laughs> sorry. to from thank to. you yeah. from yes to. there you go they're they're doing my from to to from yes but they're showing me on a 
like a macro level what that is and where what resonates with me is when I'm I want to be the player in that story. And if if I'm the individual who you're selling to, we're selling to people here, how is this story going to change or impact my life? Right? That and I think sometimes we miss that. Like our business is going to do this. So you'll move from here to this, but how is it going to change your life, Jennifer? How your specific role, yes, it needs to move you because we are emotional. We are driven and motivated by our own things as well as the company's things. I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, I I think that is so critical because we often miss, um, and think of any sales methodology you've ever used, how does this impact the person or persons or committee that you're selling to, right? And some of them maybe aren't as well spoken up front when you're first in the, I'm trying to get in there because this could change my career. Yeah. I've been wanting to get a big win in this and this is going to be the win. And, and people, when they buy from us, especially large buys, you know this, they're betting sometimes career, political capital, yes. relationships of people that they brought in, um, sell, you know, their view of themselves. This is it for me. And so, I mean, I think it depends on where you are with the buyer. But when we do the list of issues, what's the biggest one, what's the evidence and the impact, often, dependent on where we are in the stage, I will, and we teach people to say, so... Tell me, I get that the impact is you're actually losing a fair amount of money on that product line. Your rev, mm -hmm. It's actually a loss, uh, and it used to not be a loss leader. So you, I see that we're trying to bring this back to profitability. For you personally or the people on your team, how does this impact them? And, you know, sometimes you'll get a flippant of, well, obviously, they're making less money. They're selling something that's a loss leader, and it's not, you know, we're not showing the profitability from operations that we need to. Right, but personally, well, I mean, we are having retention problems. Mm -hmm. I've even been thinking about it for myself. You know, you'll sometimes get to, you know, if we could implement this with success, I would stay here a couple of years longer because I know it would keep me in the game. And I, you know, people will tell you, but I think when you're talking about evidence and impact, that's a judgment call. It's easier in the industry I'm in with human behavior change. We mm -hmm. work with organizations to change behavior. So you'll often say, so tell me more about, and, and how do you know that's how people are feeling? Well, mm -hmm. we have a culture survey, you know, we have all of these things. We, it's easier in behavior change than some product and sale and other solutions that we work with clients on. But I think that's an important element and, and uh, bring it up usually when we're talking about impact. Well, how does that mm -hmm. impact your team? What about you? Yeah, well, I think it's, and I talk about in my book, is you, you start macro, midterm, personal. Mm -hmm. You gotta look at yeah. all three perspectives. Because people, when they're making decisions, they always carry at least two perspectives with them. Is this a good decision for the company? Is this a good decision for me? And so if you have a buying committee of five people, you've got 10 perspectives you need to understand and start to reconcile in order to reach a consensus. Agreed. And, and there's that emotional piece. If I bring the two of you to the meeting and I've scheduled Howard and I've scheduled Andy, 
I that's not going to be good. That's not going to be good. That's way too many opinions, way too many voices. <laughs> but I've got to be thinking about, you know, how how did I prepare them? You know yeah. this if you've brought anybody within your group, whether it's peers or above you or friends, if you're going to recommend or have them be part of it, you want this to be the best it could be because it reflects you. You got everybody yeah. in the meeting. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I had a. I had a conversation. This. I think it was. God, every day is blending. So today is Thursday. It was probably on Tuesday. One of my AEs brought me into a meeting because the prospect was talking about how expensive the application was, and net net, we got into talking about how much a fully fully ramped rep costs. Like the OT is 300K. They have a million point four quota. And we were talking about, and I basically boiled it down to the cost of the product for, and they have a team of 1200 people, but the cost of the product is basically two reps. So we were literally talking about two reps performing. But until that moment, it just seemed like a lot of money. And then you get into, well, how many reps do you actually hire over a period of time? And how much do you pay the recruiters? And what percentage of those reps are actually successful? 33%. It's, it's, you need perspective. But people need help getting there. Because, yes, it sounds like a big dollar amount. <clears throat> and we're all you know trained to pay attention to that. But in perspective, and sometimes as sellers, we have to help people see the bigger picture. Um, I, I love doing what we do. I, I, we have the I opportunity to learn and grow and help and change. And it, this has been incredibly valuable for me. And I, I really am a big fan of the book. So anybody on here who hasn't read this book, absolutely get a copy. It's incredibly valuable and I really appreciate it. It's strikingly different selling. Also, if you haven't read Andy's book, that's another one, but I'm not going to pitch everybody's book here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I I'll certainly pitch, appreciate that. Yeah, you can, yeah, no, Andy can pitch excellent book. Excellent book. And if people want to find out more about the book or connect with you, Jennifer, how should they do that? Well, the best place is franklincovey.com. And obviously, we have a section on all of our solutions as well as our books. I'm on LinkedIn at Jennifer Colosimo. Would love to connect with anyone who has opinions. Would love to hear more about this. Um, so those are probably the two best areas, LinkedIn and FranklinCovey.com. Perfect. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Jennifer Colosimo, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating and a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>